All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Just want to do a quick weekend update. Uh, I don't have anything like specific advised on some investing strategy planned out with some concise point. I just wanted to give you an update on my portfolio, see how things are going. Then I'm going to comment on a few news items, uh, things that happened this week, as well as answer some of your questions. So to start, I'll just go over what happened this week. So let's take a look at the, the week view here. This is the past five days. Market just closed on Friday, and I'm down 100 bucks, 0.35%. Now, it's a it's a down week though. If I look at the let's go over here and look at the S and P five hundred. Let me center that a little bit. Okay, so we're looking at the S and P five hundred here. Now, if I highlight this, two point five three percent negative. So the S and P five hundred, the basic stock market indicator, it's down two point five three percent. So in contrast to that, my portfolio has done pretty well, going down just point three five percent. Now I wanted to talk about that. What I'm concerned about with my portfolio, I'm more concerned about keeping my money during a market downturn than I am making money during the upside. So I would rather keep the majority of my money during a downturn than I would try to beat the earnings of the market on the upside. And that's because I have a I have a lot of lot of my capital here at work, but because I feel like the losses are harder to make up than just missed gains, if that makes sense. And this portfolio is constructed, I think, pretty conservatively with that in mind. If you look at the previous week, you'll notice something here. My top, this is from top to bottom of my weighting. The top three that make up over 50% of my portfolio are all uh, various categories that most people don't have hardly any money in. Utilities, which are all government regulated, they're pretty much monopolies. Hard for any of them to have really any big struggles unless there's something super drastically bad happens with them, some kind of big lawsuit or something. Bonds, which these are, half of these are, are I'm going to just click into them and show you. Half of these, one to three years, seven to 10 year, three to seven year, these are treasury bonds. So they're ETFs, so they can go down in value because they're a fund that the underlining asset is a bond, but the underlining asset is a government-insured bond. So they're never going to drop that much. Even in a huge recession, these will hold their value. Now, LQD is an investment-grade bond, which are, are bonds of companies that the rating agencies believe they'll be able to rate their, they believe they'll be able to pay back their debts and pay back these bonds. So there's no junk bonds in here. And I have 20% of my portfolio in here. And then real estate is my top pie that has 33% of my portfolio in these. So as you can see, these don't really trade in line with the rest of the market. While the rest of the market went down, these three actually gained, which made my losses significantly less in the market. Instead of losing 2.5, I lose 0.35. And that is you know, for this week, that's alpha. That's keeping your money when other people are losing it. That is a good thing. Now, the the bad part is if the market goes way up, you also want to be able to match the market on the upside. But I, again, I'm more concerned with keeping my money on a downturn than I am matching it on the upside. I still want to have a lot of upside with it though. So that's how this week has gone. The purpose of this portfolio, like I, like I said, it's all about the dividends. And I want to go and just do a recap of that. So let's go to activity here. And for as far as timeline, I want to look at, let's go to the, just the past 10 days. Let's just take the past 10 days and see how, how much dividends I've been paid. So let's click here. Dividends, $2.62. Royal Bank of Canada, Costco, uh, and Caterpillar. And then those bought Maine. If I go 
here seven days ago. Dividends, $26.51. Well Tower, Simon Property, LTC Properties. Those bought these. Now, I had other deposits going in with these dividends, but $26.51 in dividends. That was seven days ago. Four days ago, $10 in dividends. Aflac, Pfizer, Phillips, Wells Fargo, uh, Boeing. That went in with other deposits, but again, bought all these different REITs. Two days ago, dividends. Visa pays 31 cents. Visa pays a very low dividend, but it's a tech company that's a toll bridge and it has a a history of raising its dividends pretty aggressively, 20% year over year. So although it's very low right now, I want to hang on to it because I believe in 20 years that dividend will, these shares that I own right now will pay drastically more in dividends. Now, let's go a day ago. $12, Southern Company. And that bought fractions of all these different ones. So even if I'm not, if you don't, if you don't have a, por- a portfolio that's capable of buying fractional shares, once you have enough money, these dividend payments start getting big enough that you can just start buying entire shares of companies. You might have to just pool them up for a little bit. And then nine hours ago, dividends thirteen dollars forty five cents. With these are all my bond pie. So these these all these ETFs they're owned by the same company makes them and. Uh, they all pay out the same day of the month. So that's $13.45. I get paid these every single month. And they're pooled with another, I put in another deposit today, and they're pooled with that money. So, I mean, you can you can look at this. In just 10 days, I'm getting paid money all the time that's buying more shares. The more I own of those shares, the more I get paid the next time. The more those companies increase their dividend payouts, the more I get paid. That's what this portfolio is about, is the compounding effect there. So, yeah, the market is having a down week. And I also wanted to talk about that. If you actually look at some of this stuff. So if I look at just CNBC here, here's their homepage. You can go and look at just the top news. Stocks post five-day losing streak, notch worst week after anemic jobs report. You can already sense the shift in the tides, right? I've seen this on Reddit and on, on social media and investing forums where, where now the, the talks have all changed. Instead of people just talking about what companies they want to buy and which ones are a great deal, now we're talking about the yield curve. We're talking about the bad jobs report. We're talking about how uh, the unemployment rate's so low that it bottoms out before recessions. Investor sentiment is completely fickle. It can change on a dime. That's what you need to know is that a lot of investing is based off emotions. When people start having negative days, it makes people scared. When they get scared, they pull their money out of stocks. When people pull their money out of stocks, it lowers it, which creates more fear, and it causes this domino effect. Uh, when this happens enough, it can actually be, I think, what is like a self-fulfilling prophecy here, where people become so concerned that it hurts the stock market in and of itself. And the purpose of this portfolio is to keep the money when that happens is to have a game plan going in before that happens you don't want to be making decisions on what you're doing investing after the market starts falling you don't want to realize oh this is way more risk than i'm tolerant of after the market starts falling you want to have already found out your risk tolerance already found out your plan of what you're going to do when when there's bad news after bad news when the market's posting losses after losses you want to know what you're going to do before that happens uh, my portfolio, I already have a game plan of when I'm going to sell companies. I have a game plan for when I'm going to buy companies. And what will happen 
with the market goes down. The reason that I have so much in bonds and utilities and real estate is because I want to be diversified, not completely just in company equities. But the, the rules I've made of what I'm going to sell, I plan on sticking with them even in a bear market, a correction, a bear market or recession. Whatever that is, I plan on sticking with that. So just keep that in mind when you're going through and reading this negative news. All it is is it shows that people are emotional. The stock market, the day-to-day fluctuations, the reason I don't like doing things based off of market gains is because this number, this top number is emotional. A lot of it is based off of investor sentiment. This bottom one is based off of uh, companies paying you out money, not based off of emotions. That money is based off of their company earnings, what they pay you. I like to have a plan based off of the company and how it's doing, not the day-to-day fluctuations of capital appreciation that is the the day-to-day fluctuations are largely based on investor sentiment and emotion. So having said that, everybody's strategy, they have to do what's best for them. I think this is what's best for me and the strategy that I'm doing. And the reason I'm I'm just broadcasting it is because I think it's interesting to to know what other people are doing. I also wanted to ask you guys to share with me what what your plans are, how you're de- deviating from mine, where you disagree with mine, and you know, you're building up your portfolios too where you guys are out with it. Let me know in the comments where you guys are where you guys are headed with your portfolios. I'm interested to see that because I know a lot of people just assume like I might assume other people are doing the same strategy as me, but I'm also interested in learning from other people's portfolios and the type of thing that they're doing. So let me know what you guys are doing with your portfolios. I think it's really interesting. Other things, so going over, moving over to some news topics, other things that I was coming across that I thought were too good to not mention. We look at here. This just came out, I think, 20 minutes ago. Bureau of Prisons opens new investigation into Martin Shkreli. Convicted former pharmaceutical executive is largely running his former drug company from uh, prison via a contraband smartphone. Now, I thought this was pretty funny. If you're not familiar with who that is, his name's Martin Shkreli. He's the pharma bro that pretty much went before Congress and he smirked and scoffed and laughed at a bunch of Congress people when they were distraught with the fact that he would buy an individual pharmaceutical company that sold a life saving drug that people needed to have to live. And then he increased the price, I think, like seven, 700 percent, like over seven times what it previously was. Right. And he had his justifications and rationalizations for it, saying he needed the company to be profitable so they can reinvest in other things. And he said that insurers were going to pay for it. It's not the patient. You're paying me like the bad guy, like the patient's going to pay for it. Insurer's going to pay for it. Anyway, the way that he communicated it to Congress was awful. He was extremely smug. And what that did is, is painted a bullseye on him. And later, he was convicted of a bunch of uh, pretty much a Ponzi scheme. There's no crime for actual called like Ponzi scheme. There's ones where you have securities fraud, wire fraud, all these type of things that you're doing where you're not buying the securities. You're not doing the things with the money that you've told investors are going to. Anyway, he was under trial for all of that. And he got hit with a really long sentence for what he did, a seven year sentence. And I think part of the reason why was because he was so he was so dismissive and so condescending and so snarky with Congress. I think that that put a huge bullseye on him and that he paid, he's going to pay a huge price for that in prison because he got such a harsh sentence on totally unrelated crimes. What he did, what he did with this pharmaceutical company and 
and pricing things a lot higher on a monopoly, nothing about that was illegal. Nothing about that in price increase was illegal. And so they couldn't get him on anything like that. Valiant did the same thing. Valiant Pharmaceutical did it on a much bigger scale than him. But the reason that I even mention him is I, I saw this other post or this other this other piece from the Wall Street Journal a couple days ago, and I almost had a hard time believing it was real. So look at this. Martin Shkreli steers his old company from prison with contraband cell phone. And then if you look down at this, this is a Wall Street Journal article. And I like I can't even the, the way that this reads. This is a Wall Street Journal article. So look at this. He says he has made prison friends, including Crispy and D Block, some of who affectionately call him a-hole. According to people familiar with his new life, they walk alongside him in a hall of ward and in the hall to ward off shenanigans from other inmates. For reputational reasons, they persuaded him to turn down a gig playing guitar in prison in a prison band because the other members were locked up for child molestation. This whole article, if you haven't read it, it's it's a gold mine. I mean, it, it's so stupid. And I cannot believe that the Wall Street Journal put this out. But what this makes me think of when I think of the case of Martin Shkreli, uh, him just being in the news again, is there's also a really interesting book that's out called Bad Blood. So it's not about the Taylor Swift song. It's about another journalist. I forget his name. I'm about halfway through the book. But the other journalist in the Wall Street Journal pretty much goes over the company Theranos, which is a company started by this girl right here. And her name is Elizabeth Holmes. You're going to hear about her more because I, I guarantee you there's going to be HBO documentaries, Netflix documentaries, and there's going to be uh, major motion pictures made about her. Because this is such an interesting, bizarre case. And what she did is very similar to what Martin Shkreli over here did, except she did it way worse. I mean, what she did was more far-reaching. It was, it was actually able to hurt people, not just their financially, but able to hurt people's health by giving them false tests. And she's under investigation right now. And what I think it's going to be is somewhat of a test for our judicial system. Because from what I've read about each case... The crimes that she's committed are far worse and far greater reaching than what Martin Shkreli did. And so if she gets a, a less sentence, I think it'll be interesting to see when, if it's based off of the way that he just acted in Congress, if that's why he got such a big sentence or not. To give you an idea of what Elizabeth Holmes did, she ran a company called Theramos, which if you're not familiar with blood testing, how that works is in each hospital or, or laboratory, they have all these huge machines that test test your blood. And blood testing is where medical intervention pretty much begins. The first thing they'll do is take a sample of your blood and test it. It can tell you all sorts of things. If you have different cancers or diseases, all sorts of things just from your blood. And so it's probably one of the, the best ways to get information on a variety of, of issues with you is blood testing. Now, what she wanted to do was take that entire laboratory, put it in a box and make it, you know, modernize it so people could do it from their home and do it in minutes. And she, she started this company called Theranos, Theranos that created all these machines that tried to do that, but she lied every single step of the way of it. She claimed that her machines were able to do things that they weren't able to do. Now, she's being charged with a variety of claims, like defrauding investors, uh, uh, lots of things that have to do with wire fraud, transferring fraud. But the biggest problems that she did was she, she pretty much told investors that this machine was working. And she would have them come in themselves to demo it. 
And then she would sit them down. She would take she would take a, a little drop of their blood and put it in one of one of their containers. And then she would act like she's testing that blood. And then she would say, okay, while they're doing that, that's going to take a half hour or so. So let me show you around to the company and the other things we're working on. And as she would be walking them around to the other part of the company, they would not use the product that they were, tr- they were telling the investor that they were testing it with. Instead, they would actually bring that to a real lab and test the blood there and then bring the results back and pretend that those results were from the device that they were the device that they were creating. So investors were totally duped with what she was doing. That is an immense amount of defrauding. And then you have stories like this, right? I saw this show up. I saw this show up on Reddit and it wasn't an investing forum. It was just a basic like finance one or something or a basic news one. And it's Betsy DeVos family lost $100 million in Theranos investment. Now, a lot of people applauded this because they hate Betsy DeVos and, you know, they might hate some other rich people like that. The Walton family, you know, nobody likes the, the Walmart family or Cox family, Carlos Slim. So they were glad to see that all these non-sophisticated investors lost a ton of money with Theranos. The, the problem is, is the way that they lost the money. So... They invested in Theranos a ton of money in a company that they thought was going to democratize and make more available blood testing. So the motives of it was was not an evil thing. They thought that this was a legitimate product that was going to make blood testing available to people that couldn't afford to go into hospitals. Not only that, the people that are most to blame here are Walgreens. Walgreens went and made a deal with Theranos and they were so eager to do this deal that they didn't do any due diligence of whether the machines actually worked and they put them in hundreds of their stores and people were using them to get actual tests that provided faulty information and from Walgreens having it in their stores Elizabeth Holmes was able to go to these investors like Walton and Cox and and DeVos and she was able to say hey look at this product we have we already have it in Walgreens and they were able to you know obviously they looked at everything right and they bought into it since since Walgreens is such a big company they are they have such a huge reach all these individual investors assume that Walgreens did a tremendous amount of research and due diligence into this product because they thought there's no way Walgreens would ever allow it in their stores if it was faulty or didn't work and that was a selling point that got them to pony up this much money and it turns out that Walgreens totally dropped the ball they did not do any due diligence to put these in their machines. They were worried about they were worried about Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes going to a competitor and putting it in their stores. So instead of actually doing due diligence, they raced to get it into their stores. So this huge mess domino mess of a company just went on and it blew up and got bigger and it got worth like nine billion dollars with Elizabeth Holmes being worth over a billion dollars and then when the things started getting uncovered by John Carew this this guy that he almost single-handedly uncovered this whole thing uh, it just completely collapsed and now she's being charged with with all of these crimes she went from being the the top entrepreneur this female young in her 20s entrepreneur worth a billion dollars and she obviously has this look where she tries to... It's interesting. She tries to dress like Steve Jobs, too. So in her voice, she does this really low voice. I remember this live, actually. I'll pull up. Let me pull up the interview here. Because this is amazing. She did this live. Let me go over to... I know we love uh, uh, Mad Money here. So let me go over to this. I was watching this. And she came on live for this interview. And... I can't be the only one, only one that notices her voice here. 
Listen to our voice. But we're doing things differently, and we're working to make a difference, and that means people raise questions. We're doing things differently. She has this affection with Apple and Steve Jobs in particular. You can see the turtleneck. She intentionally lowers her voice, which is really bizarre. But if you watch any interview, she does it. And then I can even, I don't have a bookmark, but I can skip to the end of the interview. And after she's been talking for a long time, she doesn't have like the same stamina to keep up that artificial voice. Her voice goes higher. It's the most bizarre thing ever. So I know this is uh, this is one of those things where people say investing is a boring subject, and this whole this whole area of the world is is kind of a mundane, boring subject. I don't think so at all. I think it's pretty fascinating. If you read that book, uh, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, it's I think it's incredibly interesting. Uh, she's a case study, and I'm telling you, there's going to be a ton of things coming out because the story is super interesting. So. I don't know why the Martin Shkreli thing always makes me think of her case because they're being charged with such similar things. Hers is so much bigger, so much more money involved. So many more people lost money. There's people that got health tests done that they made medical decisions based off of faulty information. So I think that she should get a bigger sentence than the seven years. Uh, I obviously think that. I think anybody anybody did. But we'll see. She did not mock Congress in person and smirk when they were upset at her. So we'll see if that has a bit of an influence there. You don't want to put a bad aura on you. But anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting to mention. Other than that, I want to go and transition over to something different now. I want to transition over and answer some of your questions. So let's go back to this. Okay, now let's go look at some of the comments here. By the way, these these views are crazy. This video I just put out has more than the previous. We have like like how many subscribers? 400 and 430. So I'm gaining like 20 subscribers a day. So thanks to everybody that's subscribing and liking the videos and sharing it with other people that might be interested in this that need to start investing and getting into it to get motivation to do that. So I appreciate that. It's been a lot of growth. We're getting like like 10 to 20 some days more than that subscribers a day. One question I've gotten a couple times is I have a, a, it's all relative, right? My portfolio is much smaller than people that are 20 years older than me, but it's all relative. I have a relatively large portfolio. I think from what I'm gauging from a lot of people that are just getting into investing and a lot of the questions is, would I be making the same decisions if I had a lot less capital to work with, right? And the answer to that is, is probably no, I wouldn't be doing the exact same thing. So I can't find the exact the exact question, but they pretty much asked, what would you do if you had $500? Oh, here it is. Please do a video on your portfolio if it's around $500 from YD Smith, right? And then I had another one that's like, if I had $1,000, so just lower amounts of money, what would you do in that situation? So let me go back to my portfolio. Now I have $31,000 right now, so I have a lot more at risk. And because of that, I probably diversified more than people that have a lot less at risk. Now, what I would do if I only had $1,000 is I wouldn't have this many holdings. Right now, I'm currently sitting at 60 holdings. So this is a lot. Uh, the problem The problem is, is I can look at my shares and notice how, like a lot of companies, 25 shares, 34, 30. If I, if I uh, go like this, 86 shares of a cheaper company. Most companies I have multiple shares of. There's only a handful that I actually don't own a single share. And most of those are ones that are I have a lot lower allocation to and their share price is a lot. Now, the problem is, is if I had $1,000 and I had this same portfolio, I would own 
I mean just tiny shreds of each company. And every dividend payment, instead of, if I went to my activity, every, every dividend payment, instead of being $13 and $14 and $20, uh, instead of being $2 here, they'd all be like 10 cents or 15 cents, maybe. Some of them would even be 5 cents or less. So the first thing I'd do if I had only $1,000 to work with at the current time is I would reduce the amount of holdings I have. If you still want to follow this type of strategy, I would try to reduce them in proportion. If I had $500 or $1,000, I would probably go through each and every one of these and I would take my number one conviction in telecom, in industrials, and in consumer, and I would just invest in one company in each pie. I would put all the other companies on a nice big watch list. You can do that. You can do that over in research. You can add things to a watch list here. You can see here's my watch list. This is just ones that I, they're long-term dividend paying stocks that I haven't pulled the trigger on. And I probably won't unless some of mine tank. But I would probably put the rest of the holdings on a nice big watch list. I would go in and I would say, out of all of these companies, which one do I feel the absolute best about? And I would invest in just that one. And I would do the same for healthcare. I'd say out of all of these, which ones do I feel the best about? And the reason why is the dividend payments will be more meaningful when you actually get them. It won't be a bunch of like five cent dividend payments. And I also think it's easier to keep track of that many companies when you're starting small. And you can naturally start adding in to companies as their price point, as their price point is good. And as you start growing capital, if you start putting in 200 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month or whatever, whatever rate you're contributing, you can start adding companies in proportion to that. So once you get to 10,000, instead of having one company in each pie, you might want to start adding in more as you build up your capital. You might want to start adding in more companies in each pie instead of just having one in each throw two in some of them. Uh, and you can weight it differently as well. But that is the that is the biggest thing I would do when I'm trying to think of of having a lower amount to work with. Really, I would I keep the same strategy, but I would lower the amount of holdings quite a bit. Instead of having 60, I'd try to have less than 20. So I hope that answers that uh, that question. Now we had another one here. Here's another question from C O R M. Says love the channel, fantastic portfolio for passive income. Thank you. I appreciate the kind words there. When you started off and had fractional shares, were you able to acquire those dividends on the fractional shares or just partial depending on the percentage of the amount of shares you own? Now, with M1 Finance, if you own half of a share, you get paid half of a dividend. And that's it's super straightforward, exactly like you should think it works. So if, you, if one share pays $1 and you own 50% of it, you're going to get paid 50 cents. Now, on like these rare cases where it's trying to round to the actual penny, uh, the way they have it is if it's 0.5, it'll round up. And if it's 0.4 or below, it will round down. So I think M1 Finance does it really fair that way. It's just where you get a fraction of a share, you get a, a fraction of a dividend. So that makes sense. And on the flip side, the reason that I own a lot of companies isn't just to, to mitigate risk, because I think that uh, diversification is a, a pretty free lunch in reducing risk. Another reason why is I like how all of them have their own individual dividend schedule. And what that does is it breaks it up. So instead of getting dividends just four times a year, where there's not as much compounding there, I'm getting dividends like I went over multiple times a week even. So I'm getting a multiple times a month. And that's because I own all these individual companies. They all pay out individually. They all get reinvested individually. And that I think allows for 
for quicker compounding. If I was just to go and pick out, let's pick out a really good ETF for dividends here. SPHD is one of my favorite. The only downside of it is it has a, well, not the only downside, but one of the downsides is it has kind of a, a more expensive expense ratio there, 0.3. But the dividend yield is four and it pays out monthly. And it's a it's a pretty good one. This is the one that I have in my in my retirement. But the downside again is even monthly is better than quarterly. Most of them, if you're gonna invest in just basic index funds like S SPY, you're gonna get quarterly payments. They're not gonna reinvest as fast. And I want I want to put my money to work as quick as I get it. An ETF like SPY, which a lot of people have money in, 269 billion in just this one. Now, the way this works is you can see the four dividend payments, only four a year. I get hundreds of dividend payments a year. I have 60 companies. At a minimum, they pay four times a year. Some of them pay monthly. So I'm getting 60 times four plus three or four companies that pay 12 times a year. So I'm getting hundreds of dividend payments out a year. Mine would have these every single week all throughout the year. So my money's being re reinvested much quicker than people who invest in just basic index funds. They, What they do is the index fund pools together all those dividends that are paid out in this time period, and then they pay it out right here, which quarterly is okay. It's not terribly slow compounding, but I think that there's an inherent advantage to having your money be paid out individually and invested individually because it's put in the market quicker, put to work quicker, and the money's reinvested back into companies that they have their ex-dividend date coming up. So I believe there's a huge advantage with that. Now, I've also had other questions uh, from previous videos on the details about this portfolio. So some of the information. Let's go over to our research here. If I go over to, I believe it's my pies here. I go over to passive income. This shows some more information about it. So holdings, 60. Dividend yield, 4.35. Expense ratio 0.03. So there's almost no expense ratio. The only expense ratio is my bonds. Those are the only, because those are the only things that are an ETF. The rest, there's no expense ratio. Now that dividend yield, 4.3%, I think is a really healthy dividend yield. It's not chasing yield. It's not 7, 8, 11% that you see in some people's portfolios. I think if you start getting into those really high percentages, in fact, over 4%, I think you're pushing it. Because I have real estate as one of my is my biggest allocation here. Real estate, the real estate average, let's see what it is, is 6.2. So when you start trying to push your whole portfolio above 4%, my personal opinion is you're, you're chasing yield there and you're taking on a lot more risk to get that yield. Uh, or there's just less potential for any kind of growth in your portfolio. I think 4% for me personally is kind of the sweet spot. That's where I targeted it. And that's where, if you're wondering where I got these percentages, I manipulated these until this was over 4%. So that's that's where I got these percentages of where each pie is. I moved them around and I tried to base it off of getting a nice 4% yield. Uh, the reason I don't want it lower than that, when you start getting into 3% and just under 3%, look at what the S&P 500 is. Let's go back to SPY. The S&P 500's dividend yield is one8 so if I'm getting down to 2%, 2.5%, I don't feel like there's that much difference between my portfolio and the S&P 500. So I'm trying to, my, mine's focused on dividends. Mine's focused on cash flow. It should be double what the normal market is that has no focus on it. The S&P 500 is focused heavily on growth. If you look at the, the top holdings, 
they're heavily growth holdings. They're Amazon. They're all the FANG stocks in Amazon and these big grow, grower companies. So if I have a similar dividend yield to the S&P 500 or close to it, it's not really a dividend portfolio. That's also why I don't like, I think it's like Vanguard Div Appreciation. Look at that. The Vanguard Div Appreciation, some people say this is a great dividend ETF. It has a lower percentage. It has about the exact same percentage as the S&P 500. So I know that the metrics aren't based off of the current yield. They're based off previous. But I wouldn't do this if you're seeking cash flow or dividends. I would go with one where you're getting a stronger, a stronger, this isn't the only one. There's some that you get above 3%. I would go with one where you're at least getting about 3% if you're seeking dividends and that's the investment strategy that you're going with. But other than that, uh, I just wanted to give you a quick update. This week uh, has been good for me in comparison to the market. This is where, you know, other people will celebrate if they make a lot of money on the upswings. I'm celebrating right now that I didn't lose a lot of money on the downswings. But again, this whole portfolio, you got to put capital appreciation, the downswings and upswings out of your mind and focus on your dividend growth over time. As I show in this chart, my my dividend growth is going great. Uh, I can look at companies, their earnings are going great. They're paying more month over month. And that's the whole focus of it. So anyway, I wanted to give you guys just a, a quick update of where I'm at. Some news items that I thought were pretty funny that I thought to mention. And I hope you guys have a, a wonderful week and I'll see you next time.